Hi, I'm Amy. Hi, I'm Roisin. Hi, I'm Tara. Welcome to Yonic Boom. The fortnightly podcast hosted by three deadly feminist, feminist midwives exploring women's reproductive and sexual health. This week we're talking about preconceptual care. Welcome back. We're back. We're back. We're back. <laughs> and very rusty. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were away on an unplanned hiatus. Yeah, sabbatical. Sabbatical, good word. Yeah. Um, it's been a good long while. Or it was. Yeah. Was IDM episode our last? I think it might have been. Might have been. Yeah, I think it might have been. Okay. In May. Yeah. Um, yeah. Various things. Um, life got in the way. Mm. We couldn't, we couldn't make it work, and but we're back now. Sounds like you're talking we about a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're still together. We're here. We're here. Yeah, we're here. We're here. Anyway, we're here, and we're here to talk to you about preconceptual care. Yeah, we are rusty though, so please forgive us. We need yeah, to um, wrap our heads around. This may everything. not be in order of what we've previously done. No. No, I mean like we just may mess it up. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's not talk people out of listening completely. <laughs> <laughs> We're delighted to be here. Thank you yeah. for your continued support. Um, We're here because of requests, obviously, from our fan base. Um, so lots of people sliding many. into our DMs asking us when we were coming back on the airwaves. Here we are. And here we are. Yeah. All right. So um, who has some news? I have some news. So I was on Twitter earlier today and I saw that the Midwives Association of Ireland tweeted some really cool news that the national consent policy has now been changed in relation Mm. to pregnancy. So we would have talked about this, I think, a little bit before in previous episodes about how the Eighth Amendment had impacted upon women who continued their pregnancies and their ability to fully consent and have full rights to their bodily autonomy. So the clause that would have been in our national consent policy Mm -hmm. said that because of the Eighth Amendment, pregnant women weren't necessarily afforded the right to consent. Yes. That has now been removed. So pregnant women in Ireland have had their full rights to bodily autonomy restored and it equals them to non-pregnant people in accessing healthcare. Excellent. Brilliant. Amazing. Amazing. Excellent news. Um that is that's great. So thanks for sharing that news, Midwives Association of Ireland. It's great to know that it's finally gone after so many people um, near and dear campaigned to get yeah, rid of that. So hard yeah, for it. Absolutely. Um, and when you uh, messaged us that about that earlier, I think you put pregnant people, but is it phrased as women or is it phrased as pregnant people? I think in the consent policy, it's always been women. I think it's... And women. Yeah. Like okay. A lot of women. kind of HSC policy documents and stuff are still kind of way behind on yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And it is sometimes hard depending on what you're describing to say pregnant people or a person because of like the context and the tense and stuff I find yes. I sometimes have to check myself and go I meant person or people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so hopefully working. they will change they, I it. think they are working they are towards working it a, yeah. they're working on an LGBTI plus policy that's going to be kind of rolled out in the next couple of years aren't they so I imagine mm. that that's going to involve them looking at all their documents mm-hmm. and changing pronouns mm-hmm. and stuff yeah, yeah. cool great Brilliant. Okay, so um, so today we're talking about preconceptual care, um, which is something that I have quite an interest in. Um, 
So I kind of just kind of wrote down a few bits I thought we'd yeah. have a chat about and see what you guys think. Yeah, sounds good. Um, okay, so what is preconceptual care? What is the aim of it? Um, so I put down my, my tagline, which Amy, you were slagging earlier, <laughs> which was you wouldn't run a marathon without preparing for it. <laughs> I um, actually did it in a different accent to that, but you on. wouldn't run a marathon without preparing for it. Was well, something like that, wasn't it? Mm. I liked it. It was okay? really mean. It was really mean. <laughs> <laughs> it was really mean. Um, so, okay. So what is preconceptual care? Um, the needs of every woman in pregnancy are different. And this is obviously also the case for preconceptual care. Um, so in general, so I kind of have like an in general. What way will I do this now? Um, OK, so in general, sorry, folic acid is something that we talk about a lot when it comes to kind of pregnancy and early pregnancy. Um, so as a kind of a base level of preconceptual care, women of childbearing age should be taking folic acid if there is a possibility that they may become pregnant and that, um, you know, that that's what they're planning that that's what their plan is. I know we, we kind of talked about that a little bit before. Um, ideally, it should be taken for three months prior to becoming pregnant, just so that the levels of folate in the body are high. Um, and um, and then, you know, when you are pregnant, then it should be taken up to uh, 12 weeks or can be taken throughout if you want. Um, what does it do? Um, it helps to support the closing of the neural tube. Right. I'm going to talk a little bit in a future episode about fetal development. Okay, and yeah, what that kind of perfect. Means. Okay, because I, I was but basically about to... <laughs> that's like the building blocks for the baby's neurological system. Yes, so um, spine, spinal column, that yeah. kind of thing. Grant. Okay, because I was about to go down a tangent that I really hadn't prepared for, um. So I'm quite glad that I that I stopped myself there. That stuff is I'm not promising. The top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so so in general, right, folic acid should be taken for about three months. Um, leading an active lifestyle prior to becoming pregnant is a really good idea. Um, early pregnancy can make you very tired, but leading, you know, leading an active lifestyle prior to becoming pregnant is a good idea because it's, it's nice to be in good habits before. Um, I hate the words good and bad, but mm. just as a as a general term, having a healthful life is 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 a good is. Is a good I, idea. Yeah, I think. Sorry, I'm, I'm, no, I know, blah, 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 blah. I know what you're saying. Like you're doing something major in your life that's going to have a huge impact on your health and another human being's mm. health. Yeah. So to be in to to be feeling your best is advan advantageous. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, um, and I don't mean that you need to be able to swim for kilometers and kilometers or or to run, um, but just to be, yeah, leading leading an active you know, healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Um, whatever that means for the individual. Yeah, it can look different for different Yeah, absolutely. People. Yeah. Um, but I think that yeah, pregnancy is such a time of change that it's nice to have kind of healthy habits leading into it. And then for many people, pregnancy then becomes a time to develop further kind of healthy habits, healthy habits yeah. as well. And, I, and you don't know how your pregnancy is going to go. go. Yeah. And then you might find it particularly challenging to suddenly have to start adopting healthy habits yeah. because of certain things that might be going on for you in your pregnancy. Yeah. So starting beforehand, 
hopefully would make any of that a little bit yeah. easier for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was an article that came out recently that said that pregnant pregnancy is basically like running a marathon every day for for 40 weeks. Like it's such an endurance test mm. on the body. So say Amy feels really bad for slagging you know (laughs) you're you're still working that marathon (laughs) I'm still (laughs) basically pregnant people are endurance athletes and they're amazing so you know you do a bit of you do a bit of of prep um really I'm a very big believer in preconceptual care this is what I'm going this is where I'm going with this um okay so if you can see your GP have your iron level checked have your thyroid function checked and check your uh, rubella status so that is if you are um, immune to rubella or German measles um and basically that's just if you start off pregnancy and you are anemic um, chances are you'll feel fairly unwell very quickly, very quickly mm-hmm. you know, so really having an optimum iron level uh, because it does drop um, a bit during pregnancy as well is is a good idea. Um, and yeah, having your thyroid function checked um, and in particular for people who maybe it's taking them a little bit longer to conceive than they thought that it might. It can be down to any number of reasons, but um, having a normal thyroid function can support becoming pregnant um, or certainly, you know, won't do it any harm. Um, have a smear test if your smear test is due because they won't do a routine smear always when you are pregnant. Which I think is on, on are we unusual in that in Ireland? I Because definitely in North America they do routine smears in pregnancy. Yeah, I think so. And then I have a feeling that it might be down to the individual practice. Mm. And sometimes it can be down to the individual woman as well. I don't feel comfortable going and having a speculum, you know, having anything kind of done. Yeah. And look at no harm to just go and have it done and out of the way. And then you don't have, that's not another job that you have to do when yeah. you have a small baby. Yeah. You know, why not just, just go and tick it off the list? Yeah. If your smear is due, go and get your just smear done. It. Yeah. There's no reason for delaying, I yeah. would say. It's free everywhere. The appointment is free. The smear is free. We will do it for a future episode about smears with hopefully an expert in the field. And talk probably a little bit more about how challenging the cervical check program in Ireland has been. Yes. But don't let that deter you from no, going No, absolutely not. No, it's still really important to get them done. Um, and then I think the the opportunity to discuss fears with your GP or wouldn't it be great if women had access to a midwife for preconceptual care um, would be great. Other things to consider doing before becoming pregnant um, have your eyes tested um, and that in particular is for um diabetic women that they get their eyes tested mm-hmm. yeah, um, beforehand um, and go to the dentist if you haven't been to the dentist for a few months go to the dentist months um, <laughs> to a dentist <laughs> in a lot longer than yeah. that um, but you know go pre-pregnancy if you need a filling when you are pregnant they won't give you any pain oh, relief no. Um, and many women that I have encountered who have presented with toothache that then go to the GP, if the toothache is really bad, they just pull the tooth. Pull the tooth out, yeah. And I mean, that's really not what anybody wants. 
No. You know, so I think it's a good idea. Go to the dentist, get your teeth looked at. If there's something there that they think is going to develop a bit further, just say to them, look, if I'm going to need a filling in six months' time, can I have it now, please? Because My teeth are actually hurting now yeah. at the thought of it. My teeth are spatting. Go to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> are you salivating at the thought of going to the dentist? Is that what teeth yeah. sweating means? <laughs> I think the technical term is, yeah, teeth sweat. Um... So, yeah. Um, And then so in thinking about all of this, I was thinking about um, GP uh, service Mm -hmm. that women are entitled to in this country. So um, the maternity and infant scheme started here in Ireland in the 1950s. So that was with the aim of kind of standardizing care around the country, giving every woman access to um, really obstetric care yeah care care in a hospital and care from a gp the aim of it was to um reduce uh, perinatal mortality improve neonatal outcomes mm-hmm. um i so, would beg to differ mm, i know i know <laughs> um, i think that was the party line yeah um so there has been very little change um in kind of i guess the service offered in that time yeah um, i suppose my objection there would be that that was introduced at a time when Ireland was, well, I suppose the Irish state thought that it was losing a little bit of societal control in terms Mm. of its relationship to the public through the church. So a lot of what was fueling that was increases in unplanned or teenage or unmarried pregnancies. Mm. So they thought that if they introduced this scheme to quote unquote look after women and their babies better it would channel everybody into the hospital and they would gain a good bit more control over women Mm. and kind of reproduction practices that were going on in Ireland at the time so there is some kind of layers to that shit oh yeah 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 absolutely I'm not I'm not uh... no no I'm not saying you're not (laughs) but like just want to lay it right out there yeah obstetric Um, control is a real thing (laughs) it is a real thing Um, okay so under the maternity and infant scheme women are entitled to an initial booking visit with their GP that's preferably earlier than 12 weeks most people they get a pregnancy test they go to their GP pretty quickly Um, and then uh, if it's your first pregnancy then you have another five uh, visits an entitlement of five visits or six visits for a subsequent pregnancy Um, there's also an entitlement to two postnatal visits um, and those are all free so um, if you are an ordinary resident so you're staying in the country for at least um, a year and you're working um and so yeah so whoever whether you're attending mm-hmm. your hospital privately mm. semi privately or publicly yeah. um it's it's free for everyone um but my big issue with with it is that it doesn't include preconceptual care i think that it would be a really good idea to have a preconceptual um clinic mm-hmm. yeah preconceptual mm-hmm. clinic um preferably you know with the involvement of a midwife would be amazing um but, you know, it's hard, I guess, GPs often feel very hard done by. They feel there are more and more people who get um, these kind of free um, appointments. Sometimes yeah. they don't feel that they are um, 
you know, compensated to the to the appropriate amount that people have multiple problems. They take a lot of time. Um, so how are you going to police? How do you know that every single person, every single woman isn't going to walk in there and say, oh, this is my free preconceptual care appointment? For me, I think that every woman of childbearing age should be entitled to one every two years. If Yeah. And I if, mean, I think you know, that's a if her con you know it's a structuring and resourcing issue yeah like i suppose you could argue that if every gp practice had a midwife then the gps would wouldn't be inundated with preconceptual care visits because a midwife could be doing it it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that midwife could just designate certain days of the week or certain times to preconceptual preconceptual care visits Mm. and that way women could would know oh on tuesdays and thursdays i can go into my gp practice and see the midwife yeah yeah absolutely or whatever but yeah yeah it is um but yeah i just think i just think that you know to do all those things to get the iron level checked to get the thyroid level checked mm-hmm. to discuss the folic acid um you know to discuss with people how to get pregnant yeah you know definitely. uh because that can be a bit of a minefield you know everyone thinks oh it just happens at the drop of a hat um but yeah you know that can be a bit of a minefield in itself so to be able to go and kind of sound out some you know, get some advice um, could be really helpful. Um, so yeah, that was kind of what I was was thinking, and I and I discussed it with my GP friend, and she said, yeah, she she said she'd love to do it. You know, if it was if it was appropriate. Um, so um, the women who do currently receive preconceptual care, um, it's generally women who have. Um, a history like a pre-existing kind of a medical history so um, diabetic women or um, women with epilepsy or maybe women who are post-transplant or you know they attend like a renal clinic Um, so they generally will have a specialist nurse working in those clinics um, and they will link in with them and say look I'm planning a pregnancy I'm planning on trying what do I need to do so for some of those women for example, diabetic women, um, you know, they uh, try and have really good glycemic control. Um, for epileptic women, it may be um, a case that they have to change their medications and get settled on medications that are not um, teratogenic. So medications that are known to have an effect on the fetus. Um, so, yeah, so it might be a case of changing meds and getting kind of settled on those meds. Um now, obviously, it happens sometimes that those women fall pregnant and they haven't done all that planning. Yeah, um, and, you know, the um, the the CNS is like the, the clinical special specialist nurses are great for kind of linking in with people really quickly. A massive and, support. Yeah. yeah and um, and getting people kind of on the on the right track, um, you know, or seen by the specialist really quickly um, and linking in also with say with the maternity hospital okay let's get you an early scan let's get you in on this clinic um and things like that and certainly say for the diabetic women um i mean i i'm sure you guys have as well like i've cared for diabetic women who are you know four weeks and five days um yeah pregnant and and their their sugars have gone through the roof and they've gone wild Mm. and you know there's a lot of control that needs to be um be taken back there so it's all about kind of doing that um so yeah so basically that the for for women with pre-existing conditions it focuses on positive outcomes for mom and for baby reducing the risk of neonatal um ad- admission to the neonatal unit things like that um and um 
and that. Um, so who else might benefit uh, from preconceptual care or what else, what other things can we do preconceptually? Um, women who have dietary restrictions, I think would, would benefit from linking in with a dietitian. Again, something that the woman has to bear the cost of, like so many things um but say if you have a particularly restrictive diet so if you are celiac and lactose intolerant um you know uh, vegan women women who are totally dairy allergic um i think it's no harm as well as you may know all these things already i think it's no harm to just link in with a dietitian just to say this is what my diet looks like at the moment i'm planning a pregnancy are there any other kind of nutrient areas that I need to be looking at? Mm-hmm. You know, and they mm-hmm. may well say, nope, you've got everything covered. That's, you're absolutely flying it. Or they might say, okay, look, what about adding in this, adding in this and, or taking something away, you know, equally works, works both ways. Um, and I have, the, I have, uh, I have this real big thing about dietitians and not nutritionists. And nutritionists yeah. um, I think dietitians have that too. I think they do yeah. like and it's not anything against nutritionists because you can have a fantastic nutritionist who done so much study and who've done so much work that just happen not to be a dietitian but because it is not a as regulated an industry um you may also find a nutritionist who has just decided yesterday to put a sign on their door that says I'm a nutritionist mm-hmm. and advertise themselves and charge you a lot of money um for that credentials yeah yeah um i went to see um healthcare professional recently and we were chatting about something and she said that she had a nutritionist in her clinic and she said to the nutritionist oh you know what kind of success rate do you have and she said oh i have a hundred percent success rate she said really and she said, yeah. And she said, how do you know? And she said, well, my clients come to me, they pay me 400 euro. I give them Holy a diet plan. Shit. Yeah. I'm so going like, to call myself a nutritionist tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I give them a diet plan. And she said, I don't do phone appointments. I don't do emails. So if they want to come and see me again, they have to pay me another 400 euro. And nobody ever comes back. So I'm assuming that it works for everyone. She's like, so <laughs> I have a 100% success rate. This is what the woman said to her. Fair fucks to her. That's some level of confidence. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, people were coming to her to get healthier. Yeah, to to get healthier, to change their diet, to change their lifestyle. Well, people are obsessed with nutrition. Yeah. You know, and diet. And it has such value attached to it now in Mm -hmm. society, doesn't Mm -hmm. it? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to navigate as a non-pregnant person I can't imagine then becoming pregnant having yes. to figure out am I allowed this am I not allowed this are people judging me for eating this or not eating enough of that yeah absolutely very difficult there's a book actually they were talking about on I think it was on the high low called Is Butter, Butter a Carb, Carb. yeah it sounds really good sounds great they kind of dispel a lot of my mum is reading it at the moment oh, on my recommendation like I'm going to get it next yes yeah she does she says it's really good Is yeah. Butter a Carb I don't know. <gasps> Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> I love that they use that quote as well. Yeah. Is butter a carb? <laughs> yeah. All carbs. Um, 
Okay. Um, so, and then, you know, other things that, that you might do, um, women might see a physio before becoming pre- uh, pregnant. So, um, you, whether it's maybe long-term kind of back pain or back injury mm. or, or anything really that you feel may be exacerbated, um, by pregnancy, um, the mammy study that was done a few years ago um, was a study, a large scale um, survey and phone uh, study that was done on first time mothers in Ireland. Um, and the first leg of it revealed that one in four women pre-pregnancy experience urinary incontinence. So one in four yeah, pre-pregnancy. pre pregnancy mm-hmm. pre so I think, you know, there are a lot of women out there who experience urinary incontinence even before they've become pregnant. Yes, it may become exacerbated when you're yeah. pregnant. But if it is something that you are concerned about, if you are concerned about your pelvic floor, I think definitely linking in with a physio pre-pregnancy and then in the hospital during your pregnancy is a is a good idea. Absolutely, yeah. Um. So, yeah, but again... Physio is a private service. It's something you have to pay for, you know, so there's all these. I wonder if we could like encourage enough people to contact hospitals or GPs asking for preconceptual care, support, Mm -hmm. appointments, whatever, that suddenly they'd all be like, oh, my God, we're influxed with these people. We better start doing something. And if you could see, see, um. Minister for Health, Simon Harrison, on yeah. those emails as well. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah, Wouldn't it be good? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. It has to come from the people. Yeah. Um, And take, I mean, how many, I mean, we got repeal. How many years was that? Yeah. <laughs> so in 2085. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't ha- quite carry the same. The same weight. Weight. No, no. Very true. Yeah. Um, but a movement from the people nonetheless. Um, so, yeah. Any. Speaking of weight. Yeah. Spe- yeah. Speaking of weight. Amy. <laughs> excellent segue. Thank you. Um, and the prize for best <laughs> podcaster goes <laughs> to. <laughs> Um, okay, so because I was going to ask you guys, did you have any further thoughts on on those preconceptual things that I was talking about or anything? Have I forgotten anything? Um, I felt like my brain wasn't fully working no, when I, I was... I suppose when you were talking about trying to be in optimal health, I was just thinking, I suppose when you... I think a lot of people think once I get pregnant, that's when I'm going to do all of these things. Yeah. So I'm going to stop smoking. I'm just magically going to stop Yeah, I drinking. didn't even mention the smoking. Yeah. You know, recreational drug use, eating really badly. Yeah. Mm. And you yeah. kind of think, I'm just going to suddenly have this whole other mentality. Yeah. And that is, you know, definitely, especially for people who smoke, for some people, they can just stop easily as soon as they find out they're pregnant. But for other people, it's a really big struggle. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's I not think, black and white. Yeah. I think that kind of operating under the basis that you're going to suddenly just want to do all of these really healthy behaviours is maybe not the best place to come from, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And also, especially in regards to exercise and diet, you know, if you're not a person, if you're a person who never really went to the gym, wasn't very active, you're not suddenly, when you're in early pregnancy, going to be a person that's in the gym. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Four days a week. Mm. So... I just think like don't expect 
miracles, you know, from yourself. I think you have to from really yourself in pregnancy. In pregnancy, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, build up. Yeah, and I think kind of on that sort of thing, while we're saying preconceptual care is really important and we would love for it to be much Mm -hmm. more accessible and available in Ireland, I suppose it's important to say that women, people who are trying to conceive, if they're not getting there, if they're not managing to stop smoking or get a bit more active or eat a bit more healthily, it doesn't mean you don't deserve to conceive and get your happiness and you know do what you can and do your best yeah and you know you have it's very hard to sometimes like I think there might be people out there who saying I shouldn't allow myself Mm. to try to get pregnant until I'm a size whatever or whatever whatever you know and I was kind of thinking the same thing about mental health Mm. that Maybe there's people out there who are saying to themselves, until I'm in mm. X place with my mental yeah. health, I'm not allowed to have that. Yeah. And equally, people who are on mental health drugs need to link in with their doctors yeah. or their psychiatrists or whoever's prescribing them and make sure that they're on the right types of medication of before conceiving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, They were my only yeah. thoughts, really. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, no, so that's that's kind of why that's I was so I was kind of nervous about even including it. But, uh, you know, like we were saying, it looks different for everyone. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It, it looks. Yeah. yeah. The goal is not to be running the marathon in Dublin. Uh, you're going <laughs> to run one when you're pregnant anyway. Yeah. Every day. Every for day. 40 weeks. <laughs> Every day. We're really selling this. Yeah. Um, OK, so look at um we're talking about putting weight behind things. Um, I was looking at what is healthy BMI, air quotes. Yeah. Air quotes, air quotes. Um, I mean, BMI. I know. I know. Body, I'm not quite obese on the BMI scale, but um, <laughs> I, I am. I was I reading. A, I'm in the, I don't think I'm in the good zone. I was reading a chart in work the other night and a person had documented a woman who had a BMI of 35 as morbidly obese. Mm. Which I thought, like, to have it out there on your notes as this tag attached to you forevermore (sighs) was just harsh. Yeah. I think think 35, like, I'm not saying that I... Maybe it is by the definition. I think by clinical definition. That's The definitions are very... Rigid. rigid rigid yeah 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 and just to say body mass index was invented in the 1830s oh, okay. by a belgian mathematician and astronomer called lambert adolphe jacques coutelet as a mathematical formula to work out if somebody was overweight or underweight or a healthy weight and really i think the population now is drastically different from the population in then. the 1830s mm, you know touch. just a touch yeah um so it bmi is frequently recognized as a crude and even a bizarre measurement um it is not nearly nuanced enough um to adequately reflect the health of the person being measured so how do you work it out you divide the weight in kilos uh by the height in meters squared um and there are loads of you know, modern, very modern 
weighing scales that give you just by standing on them and there are some that you stand and you hold um like, the handrails yeah um and they give a much more accurate picture of your um fat your visceral fat which is the fat around the organs um you know how much water you're carrying in your body um the weight of your bones not your bone density because that's something mm. different but the, i want the one of weight. these scales yeah <laughs> um in my head i think my bones are really heavy yeah. my bones are the heaviest <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know when those scales are used appropriately they're by far and away the best you know measure of somebody's physical being just your being without without even talking about the mass that you take you know, up in the world. Let's just put yes. it like that. Sorry, that's, uh, that, I, I couldn't find that phrase. Yeah. I was really searching there. Um, okay. And, you know, as healthcare professionals, so many of us, we all recognise that BMI is not an appropriate reflection of someone. You know, and we'll all say that. It's oh, not a good, it's not you a, know, it's it, not a perfect measure of someone's No, health. it's it's so crude. You know, it's just, it's so mm. basic. You can have an Olympic athlete who has a bmi of 29 you know are you going to be like sorry dude well the rugby team they're all yeah their bmis are all in the obese to morbidly obese obese category because they have so much muscle mass yeah yeah um so what i was looking at was just um i guess you know what is bmi used for in the maternity services how do we use it um so women with a BMI over 30, they automatically have a diabetes test um, during their pregnancy, regardless of family history, personal history. Um, and they, women with a BMI over 30, they have restricted um, access. So if the hospital you're attending has a pool for labour or for birth, and you have a BMI over 30, they will restrict your access to it. Now, I believe in the UK... The number is 35, the BMI of 35. However, I've heard of some going up to 40, some birth centres. In the UK, it is very much more individualised. It is not you come under this category and we're going to do this with you. It's more individualised. It's open for discussion. Open maybe. for discussion. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, hopefully we I will think start it's to really grow that way here. Pathetic, um kind of shirking of a responsibility yeah. to women whose BMIs are higher to say you can't use the pill because yeah. our equipment might not be able to lift you out fatty yeah. yeah. do you know that's yeah. just bull there's buy new equipment do you know yeah. like that's 100% um, so women may um, experience uh, that they, they might be restricted from accessing the domino service so the domino's domiciliary in and out service um, but just because you can't necessarily, if you if you fall into that category, and mm. just because you, you may not necessarily, for any number of reasons, be able to attend the domino um, service during your pregnancy because, you know, let's face it, if you've had multiple UTIs, they might say to you, no, you can't attend the domino mm. service. You know, there are, there are any number of things. If you have a certain thyroid problems, no, you can't attend the domino service. But it doesn't mean that after you have given birth that you can't, go home with the community midwives because I think a lot of people yeah they you know they kind of mm. think about that like going into clinics and all that they don't kind of they don't mind a clinic yeah. is a I clinic. don't know about every hospital yeah but, but where I work we try and subdivide it into 
the women who have been with the community midwifery team throughout their entire pregnancy care. Yeah. And then the women who are suitable for what we call early transfer home. Yeah. Under a midwife care. So we would flag then with the community midwives if they have space to visit women on any particular day. I have a really suitable woman who didn't meet your criteria in the antenatal period, but who is now really suitable for you because she's had a very straightforward labour and delivery and postnatal period thus far. Mm. And then you will still get to access some level of that care. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Then women who fall into the category, if they have a BMI over 40, will usually see an anaesthetist during their pregnancy. So... The reasoning behind this is that they feel historically women with BMI over 40, there's been an increased um, need for a cesarean birth and a potentially um, difficult epidural administration. So for that reason, women will see an anaesthetist during, during their pregnancy. Um, I think, I think it, it would actually be no harm for every woman to see, you know, in a way... I kind I don't of no. I feel I like know. sometimes it introduces intervention. Well, yeah, there too is that. Soon there that is that. It's but in your brain, then you know. Yeah, very true. But because yeah. then are we saying? Yeah. Oh, you're definitely going to have an epidural. Yeah. yeah no, I know. I know. I that. just think I've looked after an awful lot of women who've been told they have to have an early epidural yeah. because mm. of their BMI alone. Yeah, and that that what wouldn't have been their plan for labor. Yeah. And you, it's my heart goes out to them because they're, it's just so hard. Yeah, they feel defeated. Yeah, yeah, they feel every, their control has been taken yeah. away. Yeah. Well, everything kind of becomes, you know, about about their size. It's yeah. very hard to, and uh, not not have that be the focus. Yeah. but uh, and also an awful lot of the time healthcare professionals aren't saying to them no. this is because of your size. Yeah. So it's like this thing that's being unsaid in the room and mm. like a woman knows what size yeah. she is. Yeah. And especially then when she's gained weight in her pregnancy. Yeah. And then she, like there we're not blind any of us if yeah. we're being told you have to do x yeah. mm. and we can't see any other reason yeah. or it's going to twig in your brain. But yeah. the thing that they're not saying to me is I'm too big. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think um like there are lots of studies that show that women are like, you know, they would prefer just listen, talk to me straight. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, the whole body confidence, body positivity movement is all about kind of reclaiming that a little bit yeah, and recognizing like, this is yes, what I like am that. and I yeah. know and but yeah. I'm still existing in the world and I'm still of value and I still deserve to be treated yeah. a certain way and all of that. Absolutely. And there's a lot of this research, I think, um, wasn't it Joe Murphy Lawless when we were in college I think she did a piece on the treatment of women oh did she yeah or I would love she to was ta- I remember she was talking about it anyway maybe she, she I remember she used to talk about it a lot and there's kind of women feel really like it's their fault that they're meant mm. to feel mm. you know kind of bad for their size that everything becomes like they're basically completely pathologized yeah from the get-go from the get-go yeah and then not all of the conversations are honest and then obviously some conversations some conversations yeah. may then completely lack tact. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of a mixture of, and they're not really met with kind of sympathy or people caring for them and yeah, trying well to recognize I, yeah. that it's, you know, yeah. being a person who is being like 180 kilos and pregnant is 
will be a challenge yeah. compared to somebody who's yeah. 70 kilos, 80 kilos. Yeah. You yeah. know, so. And even in, in the fact that it's just a challenge in just meeting people like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. And having your body exposed when you might be used to keeping your fairy covered. Yeah. And having intimate parts of your body you yeah. know it's, yeah. it's a very yeah feeling scrutinized people, at every turn when your body if you have any kind of issues like that so I think it's definitely something um, that hopefully people will look into more yeah mm. in the future mm. um, so yeah on that Amy what, what you're mentioning there so um, just the last couple of points that I had so women with a high BMI they'll often have a bariatric assessment so that's what they call you know sort of where they look at different things of people's mobility um but to me I always think well you know this is like you you prove yourself you know and show us your ugh, sorry I'm absolutely making a mess of this today girls I'm um, fine. you know use this as an opportunity to say yeah my BMI says 42 but I'm out there walking miles every day yeah or maybe I'm not but yeah, I'm, you know, mobile and I'm here and I'm here for it and I'm aware and, you know, yeah. um, use it as an opportunity to discuss all the ins and outs of the care in your pregnancy, um, you know, and not just as, oh, yeah, they're taking off more numbers and more boxes, um, you know, about me. Yeah. W- you know, without me well, being I think present on that paper. It's probably incredibly challenging to do to be the person who sort of pushes forward the conversation when you also happen to be the person in the bigger body that this whole maternity care system has been devised not to suit you Mm. it's hard to go out on the limb but possibly really rewarding if you can open up that that space for yourself mm-hmm. and kind of then push the healthcare professionals that are working with you to improve and to step up to the plate and talk a little bit differently and address things a little bit yeah. differently and work with you in a bit of a different way that works for you and you then hopefully would have a really positive experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, and then um, yeah, I think that was that was pretty much that was pretty much everything. Um, it's such a it's it's a tricky it's a tricky topic to talk about BMI and again that's because you know we hate that we work in a system that uses that as a measure but yeah there's at the it's moment it's so problematic the way people talk yeah. about it yeah. around it the way people treat mm. people differently around it it's very very challenging and there should you know 1800s like we've progressed in so many ways mm. yeah I mean, it's like partograms, which we'll talk about in a future episode, (laughs) which is what the way we measure labor is based on years old science that Mm -hmm. hasn't been moved forward since that time. Even though we know the evidence says otherwise. And I think that we have to admit that there's some sort of an element underneath this all that it's got to do with women's bodies and management and control of women's bodies for the most part, you know historically mm-hmm. and that or birthing bodies that yeah. there's some sort of mystery or lack of impetus to improve things that it's just kind of sometimes keeping going with the same old mm. tricks yeah yeah the patriarchy yeah <laughs> that shit needs to change Smash it. 
<laughs> um, cool. Um, so yeah, um, Amy, what have you got for us? Um, so our feminist of the fourth night. Um, I'm really going to try and get the name her name right in the first go. Is Anusha Chin Talapale. And she is a 17-year-old uh, young woman from America. And she is part of a movement which has started called the Women's March Youth Empower Cohort. And it initially started with 14 students. And basically they're arranging events and initiatives. Um, and they're having, kind of, they're getting a lot of attention at the moment. So one of the main reasons um she became involved is she's a south asian woman and she felt um it's always difficult having your voice heard as a woman of color i come from a community that has for so many decades staunchly poured more resources time and ambitions into stem because of years of subconscious stereotyping people don't perceive south asians as politically inclined but this field affects me and people like me the most so she has been out protesting um for the recent abortion bans um and she said kind of one of the big things that people have been using are um basically the Na the national asian pacific american women's forum notes that self-selective abortion bans in place in 11 states operate on the racist belief that asian immigrants prefer male children and disproportionately restrict access so she's doing great things and she's only 17 amazing yeah. amazing amazing well yeah. done yeah. Yeah. well done to her yeah, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Um, STEM, STEM, STEM. Yeah, yeah. Um, science, technology, engineering, maths. Thank you. S T E M. STEM. Okay. Is that a wrap? I think uh, so. Yeah, we've no dear Fanny this episode, um, because we've been on our hiatus. But we, as always, would welcome any of your questions or comments around preconceptual care or what you think about what we've discussed. Um, so, yeah, hit us up on our Instagram. Tara knows all the deets. At Boom Yannick on Instagram and Yannick Boom Podcast at gmail.com. Um, thank you to our producer, Stee, who's not in the studio with us this week, but he set us up nicely. Um, and I have to say thank you to Kev, who will be producing. <laughs> and uh, we're here at Denmark Studios. Um, so... Let me see. Do I know how to stop this recording? Yes, I do. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Bye. While we are medical professionals and we love answering your questions, this pod should never be used in place of a real-life consultation with a midwife or doctor. If you have a serious concern about your health or a medical emergency, please go to your GP or to a hospital.